0: The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life. Like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help. From fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did in the end, what will I become? Senua Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Good morning, Birdland. I'm Mark Brown. I've been covering the Orioles for more than a decade on CamdenChat.com and hosting this podcast for 98 episodes and counting. It is now February the 26th, 2024. Opening day for the Orioles is 31 days away, or a month and two days if you'd rather think about it that way. This past weekend marked the start of Grapefruit League games, so everything between now and the start of the season will be oriented towards near daily, or sometimes even twice daily, as in the case of today, uh, games to get the players ready for the season. In today's episode, after a quick roundup of where things stand in camp right now, I'm going to talk about the experience of watching Orioles games on TV and uh, whether national trends are going to cause that to change in the not too distant future. As of this morning, the Orioles have played 2 of their spring training games. They beat the Red Sox in the opening game on Saturday as Colton Cowser delivered a walk-off home run to put the Orioles ahead 4 to 3 in a victory, and on Sunday they beat the Pirates 2 to nothing as Orioles pitchers held Pirates batters to just 3 hits combined. And for fans who used MLB.tv to watch the Pirates broadcast, you got to see last year's first-round pick Enrique Bradfield Jr. show off the speed on an infield single that led to a throwing error that scored the first and ultimately decisive Orioles run in the game. Bradfield also stole a base uh, that was recorded as the fastest Statcast sprint speed so far in spring training. So, as I always say on this show, results in spring training don't matter for a variety of reasons. The big league regulars, they're just getting the rush shaken off. A lot of the stuff that happens in late innings, especially early on in games, involves players who are either not MLB ready right now or will never be uh, in the MLB picture for the team that they're pitching for in a spring game. This is especially true in the late innings for home games for the Orioles, because then you're talking about the other team's travel roster rather than its regular roster, which itself tends to be more loaded with players who are more on the fringe of the roster picture or not in any kind of roster picture at all. Just for one example, the Kowser walk-off home run on Saturday was hit off of pitcher Nate Tellier, who is a 25-year-old reliever who has never pitched above high A. Cowser is not going to get many regular season shots against pitchers of that kind of caliber. Uh, I mean, even if he only uh, plays in triple A, he's not going to face many guys whose experience is limited to high A. A third thing to keep in mind with spring games is that these are under weather conditions that players are really not going to experience in the regular season. The sun and the wind are different in day games in Florida compared to really any baseball uh, stadium, an MLB stadium that's going to be, you know, having April through September weather, to again use Kowser's walk-off home run as an example, he hit that thing high enough that it got caught in a wind gust and lifted out of the stadium. These spring training jet stream specials, as they are often labeled by announcers, uh, not uncommon in spring training, but a similarly hit ball, not terribly likely to be a home run at Camden Yards in the regular season. My rule for spring training, really similar to my rule for small sample sizes in the regular season. It is better to have good numbers where you've got to recognize that you need to pump the brakes about excitement for a player than it is to have bad numbers like a guy goes on an over 20 slump or there's a pitcher who can't stop walking batters and you have to convince yourself that these things don't matter. Here's another early spring training small sample for you. In his two-inning start yesterday, Cole Irvin was throwing fastballs about two miles an hour faster than what he averaged last year. It worked out really well for him in Sunday's game because Irvin retired all six hitters that he faced. So maybe he was airing it out in a short outing. Maybe he's not going to be able to do that as he's more stretched out and towards the regular season. I'm going to be really interested to see where he's at for that in March. When a pitch counts are closer to regular season workloads, for what it is worth, Irvin told reporters after making that start that he added some strength training to his off-season routine. So that's one possible sign of having that worked out. Uh, people who have observed his bullpens beat reporters who've been down there in Sarasota are also seeing more uh, break on his pitches than he had last year. So that's maybe also as a result of that off-season work. So. It's going to be interesting and worth keeping an eye on. But mostly what matters in spring training is key players getting through it without suffering injuries or for the players who arrive injured that we talked about last episode, that they are able to recover without any further setbacks. So for the Orioles right now, I think obviously the most important one is Kyle Bradish. How is he going to bounce back from getting the platelet-rich plasma injection in his elbow early last month? Braddish, now about a week and a half into a resumed throwing program, Mike Elias joined Saturday's broadcast and said that Braddish is now tossing from flat ground at 90 feet distance without any issues. Me being wired the way that I am, I'm going to be at least a little bit nervous about a setback for Braddish, really until I see him back in action in an Orioles uniform, but for the time being, Elias says things are going positively, so, you know, at least that's something. Much closer to being back is Gunnar Henderson, who entered camp with some oblique soreness that was reported by Elias to be minor. Before yesterday's game, Brandon Hyde told reporters that Henderson is starting to get work in, may get into games later this week. He said if Henderson starts getting into games this week, he's still going to have plenty of time to get ready for the season, so... Maybe we will see Henderson next time that Masson bothers to air in Orioles spring training game, which will not be any of the weekdays over the coming week. In new but also minor injury news, prospect Connor Norby suffered some soreness in his side after a round of batting practice a few days ago, likely out for at least a few more days. Hyde said as well, Craig Kimbrell's bullpen session on Saturday was cut a few pitches short due to quad soreness. Kimbrel is supposed to throw again today. So if that doesn't go well, we'll probably hear about it, and then we can start to be anxious. And But for now, let's not panic about uh, okay thinking Kimbrel is suddenly old and he's going to get hurt forever and not even going to get to pitch well or much for the Orioles. Nope, no panic yet. We're not going to worry about that until things continue to be uh, worse than just cutting a bullpen session a few pitches short. I will be right back after a message from a Fans First Sports Network sponsor, and then I'm going to talk a bit about the experience of and future of watching the Orioles on TV. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end. What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. With Lucky Land Sluts, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. As you know, if you've been listening to this show for a while or reading my complaints on Camden Chat, I am really disappointed at the choices that Masson, the Orioles-owned TV network, makes with regards to spring training broadcasts. This spring, seven games will be aired on Masson, many fewer than just about every other team It's more than the Orioles aired last year, of course, when they only had three of their own broadcasts. So that's an improvement. But one thing that's not an improvement is that the broadcasters for the TV games are calling the games from Camden Yards in Baltimore. That, I think, stinks. It's kind of a relic that should be left in the COVID pandemic era, which, uh, at least as far as how it impacts weather broadcasters can go to where the team is. We are not in that era anymore. After watching Saturday's uh, game broadcast, I got to say, maybe it's actually a little bit less upsetting that Masson is not going to air more spring training games because the technical stuff of actually doing the broadcast really was not very good, uh, especially because the camera angle from center field, which is the standard view used as the pitcher, any pitcher is throwing a pitch to the batter, it looked like some kind of cruddy laptop webcam just pointed at the field. Except if it was a laptop webcam, it probably would have been lots uh, much less uh, visible of blowing around in the wind, such as whatever camera was actually out there. So, on top of that, any time after a ball was struck, if you went from a cam went to a camera that was maybe more up behind home plate, looking at the outfielders to see what they were doing to make a catch. That camera seemed to have some kind of busted pixel. so there was always one pinprick of light just randomly floating in the middle of the grass. I just think everyone involved in the broadcast, including fans who are watching, just deserves better than this low-rent stuff, and it's annoying that the Orioles' own TV network is, is not getting it together. I mean, the regular season broadcasts, they're not quite so bad with camera issues, Although, for a number of years now, I think the low rent aspect there shows up in the cheap, probably royalty free music that they use in between innings or for montage sequences or whatever. Nearly all of which just is some laughable, like generic version of some kind of genre song with cruddy lyrics. And just, I, I don't know. I don't get what is the point of that stuff. Uh, I, I don't like it, but it's probably another sign that Masson. Not exactly flush with cash at the moment, which one way we know this is because Masson has gotten some other headlines in the sports business world lately, as the network has its contract with Comcast or Xfinity expiring at the end of the month, which is a big deal because if that situation is not resolved before the start of the regular season, Orioles fans who are using Xfinity for their cable will not actually be able to watch the Orioles games on Xfinity because there's no contract to carry that as reported by John Orand of puck news. Also the reporter to break the news about the team being sold by the Angeles family. So seems like he's on a roll lately. Uh, He reported Masson's dispute with Comcast involves Comcast wanting to take Masson off of the basic cable tier. As his report noted, Comcast subscribers currently paying an $11 and 15 cent per month fee for regional sports networks. The cable company is looking to do away with that fee, which would involve moving Masson and other regional networks. Uh, So I guess whatever airs, you know, uh, Washington basketball and hockey games, uh, and also, of course, you know, the nationals. uh, They want to move Masson into a tier where people have to choose to pay extra to get it instead of having it just be in the basic tier that everyone gets, and everybody is paying that uh, fee for the regional networks. The effect of this, according to Orient, is that Masson could lose as much as a third of its revenue. So like Masson, it's not unique among baseball team networks in having issues because recently an operator that covered nearly half the teams in the league was involved in bankruptcy proceedings. Several teams have had their rights revert to MLB, and, like, it's because the basic problem that's facing a variety of channels, including sports channels, their costs are locked in with agreements for several or years at a time in the amount that they're supposed to pay to, um, you know, have the, the, the rights to broadcast the team's games. But the continuing trend of households cutting the cord, giving up their cable, is hurting the revenue, even as those contracts are locked in. So for cable companies, channels like Masson, Mostly, uh, they've been handled the same as Comcast, where they charge everyone a fee to have that channel on the network. It's the same even for non-watchers of the channel. So as these people drop their cable subscriptions over time, Masson and other companies like it get less money. You know, the national sports uh, channels like ESPN, they're suffering the same thing as well. As the people are cutting the cords, uh, ESPN is losing a lot of revenue that it turns out it was only getting because... Uh, Cable companies had ESPN on the same basic tier, so even non-ESPN watchers were paying ESPN money, basically. For local TV revenue, it really matters uh, for every team. It's especially significant for the Orioles because Masson is wrapped up with a second team, the Nationals. Of course, that was part of the agreement that let the Expos move to Washington, D.C. without Peter Angelos raising a big legal stink at that time. Ever since current commissioner Rob Manfred got his job, the league has been trying to alter that deal, and after a protracted legal battle that spanned a decade, the issues have recently settled down some. But the result of all of it is that Masson is paying more in rights fees to the Nationals and Orioles, and its profit is reduced. That's bad for the Orioles because the Orioles get the lion's share of profit that the, uh, that uh, Masson makes, so it's actually worse for the Orioles, if the rights fees are higher, because rights fees go into the local uh, revenue sharing pool that MLB then splits out among other teams. So, you know, I mean, Oran's note about the possibility of Masson losing a further third of its revenue, depending on how the negotiations with Comcast end up, that's a big deal. And I guess that ties back into the low-quality and sporadic spring training broadcast, because it might actually be the case that Masson acts broke because it is, in fact, close to broke. I got to say, I would feel a lot worse about this as it relates to the Orioles, if not for the pending sale to David Rubenstein and his group. If all of this stuff was going on and there was no indication that Orioles fans would ever escape from having John Angelos as a control person for the Orioles, that would be a lot more concerning. You know all of his rhetoric about oh the Orioles they're never going to be able to sign a 100 million dollar player or whatever. It would be it would be a lot more concerning if that was actually going on with the diminishing mass and revenue apparently in as a backdrop as well. But I think that turbulence around Masson was probably priced into the sale price uh, that was the valuation as Rubenstein and Company are taking over. One reason I think that is because there were some initial reactions, especially ones reported in The Athletic, that indicated that there were people around the league who felt that the sale price of the Orioles was low. I think one explanation for that, to me, uh, is that Masson is actually worth a lot less than those league sources assumed. So uh, I think that's probably, all of that probably was priced into the Orioles' value and that's probably why it was less than those people thought. Really, I have felt, basically, since the mass and legal drama started up, more than a decade ago, that, that ramped up in 2012, uh, I think there's a personal and multi-generational animus between the Angelos and Lerner clans. I think that it was uh, Peter and Ted, who has since passed away. Peter Angelos, of course, is not the Orioles' control person anymore, but I think that's passed down to the next generation now. Uh, John Angelos and I believe Mark Lerner, who, if I'm remembering right, Mark Lerner was the one involved in the initial negotiation between Masson and the Nationals about the rights fees for the 2012 to 2016 period. Who was alleged in the in the Masson lawsuit against MLB over the rights fees to have just ended the negotiation immediately by ripping up the presentation, uh, the papers that Masson presented to the Nationals to start the negotiation about what to pay more than 10 years ago. So anyway, those guys, that's two generations that have been involved in Orioles and Nationals ownership. I think both generations hate one another. Maybe as the Orioles pass to a new ownership group, there's going to be a change in what Masson is like because Rubenstein and company just don't have the same beef with learners. And, of course, it is possible the learners will end up selling the Nationals as well, even though they say they're not going to. But John Angelos said he wasn't going to either, and we know how uh, how that worked out. So as far as if things change, I think it's probably not going to be better for the Orioles compared to how things looked in 2005 or 2010 but I feel like there's probably better possibilities for the Orioles under current conditions than what um, exists for Masson currently. And I think there's better possibilities for the Orioles than what is likely to evolve in the medium-term future. And by the way, in case you were wondering what the future of all of this might end up looking like, let's consider one of the teams that has ended up with its rights reverting to the league so it is striking out basically on its own with MLB-produced stuff that's just going to be offered as an a la carte streaming package. The Arizona Diamondbacks are a team now. They're out on their own. Again, they're, they're offering a separate streaming package from MLB.tv. It's going to cost $100 per year. We'll cover all games that are not subject to national blackout, and that's for available for everyone who is in the Arizona Diamondbacks home TV territory. So basically where you would be blacked out by MLB.tv right now for Diamondbacks games, um, you will have the option to buy Diamondbacks only package. And this kind of thing basically is what most MLB.tv, well, many MLB.tv people have wanted for a long time. Namely, in-market streaming of all of their team's games such so that people who have cut the cord can continue to see their favorite team in the local area. So, like, you know, would it be worth $100 per year to you to have the opportunity to watch nearly every Orioles game without regard for whether you are a cable subscriber? I mean, if you're not a cord cutter and you're still paying for cable, an extra $100 per year On top of that, that's actually not that much of a win. Though, if Comcast ditches the $11 per month regional sports fee, maybe you are still coming out ahead. Uh, If you have Verizon, I don't know what their arrangement is. They're not in negotiations right now. Don't know if we, uh, I have Verizon also, don't know if we would come out ahead or not. So it doesn't look like any of this is going to change within 2024, but Depending on how the Comcast thing goes and whenever Verizon opens up again, I wouldn't be surprised to see some kind of change for Masson that uh, ends up more likely with having to pay to stream Orioles games, and maybe that's better for you, maybe it's not. This episode is long enough without dropping a mailbag in, but just remember for next time and into the future, you can send a message to camdencastpod at gmail.com with a question or topic for future discussion. That is all that I've got for today. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform for the rest of spring training episodes will be released every Monday. So I will see you again in a week. Good morning, Birdland this is a Camden Cast production on the Fans First Sports Network. This is Mark Brown signing off.